0: thank you for listening to an episode, another episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast. And I'm Ali Maxwell. Alongside me is George Ellick, the Felipe Morais to my Jimmy Smith co-caretaker player podcast hosts of not the top 20 pod
1: that is wildly inaccurate because if we were caretakers we wouldn't be here every week doing exactly the same thing
0: that's true well a, a half decent result for crawley on the weekend maybe those guys will get the job full time regardless uh, what was meant to be a whimsical opening has now been thrown back in my face by my good friend alongside me george we had a nice trip to sunderland slash newcastle this weekend what we were calling the ntd 20 AGM, looking back on what's been a, a busy six weeks or so and a, and a busy 2018 and making some plans for the future. So, you know, just to let the listeners know, one of the main resolutions that we made was that uh, we're just going to continue to remain hugely biased against uh, the team that they support. So, that, you know, that was, that was really the big one. Yeah, yeah, um, it's huge.
1: Well, yeah, and it was, you know, we take no pleasure in, in teams doing, doing poorly, but maybe it was quite nice for us just to see Peterborough uh, and Leeds struggling struggling a little bit this weekend just after flagging that maybe they're running a bit hot never good to see teams not doing too well but uh, we've got a couple of pelters from people for saying that we were just obviously biased against their teams uh, and those teams uh, had results they wouldn't have been too pleased with on the weekend so maybe there is method to the madness
0: yeah not always right but no. very rarely biased because there's no real reason for no, us to be exactly. biased about Especially anyone when, apart from I, arguably Swindon I suppose yeah in your, in your case I try
1: not to be there and also you know I I love Kim very very much like he's my own Child, I don't. Is he like younger than me? Yeah, just yeah. about. So, um, so I would have no reason to want my want my son to do badly.
0: Yeah. Well, you probably just about beat me in the Saturday night drinking contest, and I beat you on Sunday golf uh, with you giving me a very generous seven shots. So, all in all, uh, an even and fun weekend. And and I hope that those of you who follow us on Instagram at NTT Twenty Pod uh, got a bit of a feel for what we got up to. We will talk about the game Sunderland Oxford uh, in a little while. There's plenty to get into there, and it was a really enjoyable. Afternoon at the Stadium of Light and a, and a smashing game, I think it's fair to say. Uh, we're going to dive into the Championship to start with, though. Now, we might as well just give it away at this point because otherwise it's going to be a huge elephant in the room, all podcasts. The first game we want to talk about is Sheffield United 4, Aston Villa 1, because we think that this was the performance of the week from the Blades, possibly one of the performances of the season across the whole Championship. And as Those of you who have listened for the last few weeks know we will be leaving the Team of the Week discussion until the end of the podcast. We've got a special guest, Sheffield United-based guest joining us. So we will leave aside all the praise for Blades until the end of the pod. So make sure you stay until the end. And so we'll get into the Aston Villa side of things because (laughs) I realised on my way here that this is going to be the third time in three seasons that one of our main podcast features has been uh, a discussion about steve bruce's future uh but i'm just going to put it to you because of what we've seen over social media this weekend the reaction to a poor week for villa losing to burton and then being smashed by sheffield united where do you stand currently on steve bruce as aston villa manager
1: i mean the last two times we've done this i've been very much in the bruce out camp uh this time i'm not quite so much um Obviously, because he's been there for a while and and things still haven't really picked up the way they'd hoped, uh, there, there's methods to, well, there are reasons to, to understand why lots of Villa fans would want him out. A 4-1 defeat away at Sheffield United, uh, really, really poor indeed. We were at Villa Park the other day where I was actually really impressed with them against Brentford for the most part until probably the last 20, 25 minutes, but they still managed to score uh, an important equaliser in that time. Um it's been a it's been a pretty poor start to the season. I think you have to remember that he did kind of stick by the club in the summer when it looked like he was going to be given absolutely no money to play with whatsoever. Um, I think that this squad in itself is uh, still a work in progress because of the the transfer business being later on in the in the campaign. Sheffield um, United. I mean, you never want to lose four one against anyone, let alone. Uh, Sheffield United who maybe they wouldn't expect to be, to be beaten by but a look at the old shot data again suggests it could have been a flattering result for Sheffield United Info goal have it as 0.98 to 0.37 uh, so pretty miserly going forward but certainly not looking like they should ship for at the back and half of that XG was for a David McGoldrick chance he, he didn't even score Having said that Villa only had two shots um, of their nine shots, only two were inside the opposition area, which is really, really poor indeed. Uh, five of those shots were, were long-range efforts that were blocked. It's pretty miserable going forwards. I can totally understand. But it's been
0: like that for, for the, his whole period in charge of Aston Villa.
1: But at the same time, he still got them to a play-off um, final last season. So Did Jack
0: Grealish get them to a play-off yeah,
1: final Yeah, and season? Jack Grealish <laughs> is still there. So I, I definitely get the, the negativity. I get the frustration. I think the one important thing here for Villa fans to remember is that by all means, get rid of Bruce if you're going to replace him as someone better. Um, I think there are a few managers out there who would be up to, up to the task. I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't get it, but I think Michael Appleton would be someone who would definitely galvanise the club in a positive direction. But is it worth getting rid of someone who realistically is probably still going to keep them in the top seven with a, with a chance of going up in Bruce to replace him with someone like Thierry Henry who could easily um, not be up to the job, not be the person that they need and not be the safe pair of hands? to maintain a challenge. I'm not totally convinced. So I, I, I'm not a massive Bruce fan. I don't think he's necessarily the correct fit for Villa. But in terms of wanting him out on the back of this result rather than on the case of history, and I'm not sure about, and also it's the important thing is who's going to come in to replace him. And if it is Henri, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a believer.
0: Definitely, definitely agree with you on you know making sure that when you're calling for someone's head, you're, you're, you're calling for it because you think there's someone that better that can come in. I just happen to think that it's just necessary to at least give that a go. I don't see Aston Villa getting promoted with Steve Bruce in charge. Now, I don't think that they're all of a sudden going to become a a bottom half team. I don't think that they're a terrible team. I think that they'll, you know, that they probably won't get smashed like that very often. But I've just been consistently frustrated over the last two, two and a half years watching them play. Um, We've spoken about it so many times that I feel like I'm repeating myself, but there's there's no obvious tactical structure or systems recognizable ones anyway that that you can really sort of get behind i don't think and this is a man who who of course has said in the past that he's not really into tactics so maybe that's not hugely surprising he never gets into uh, that side of the game uh, in his interviews he's 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 sort of all about motivating and geeing up his players and you have to wonder and there are a higher profile uh, examples of this whether you know that is really what you want in modern management with, with the current generation of players coming through he went for experience last season uh, and said that's what he wanted uh, he's already said this season that he's looking for a younger squad because last year's squad was a bit too old and it just none of it really adds up for me um, looking at the team how you can end up with Jedinak playing centre-back consistently. Him and Alan Hutton standing next to each other in a four-man defence is, is just an absolute disaster. Um, that will continue to be the case. He doesn't seem to be too cognisant of the idea that Yedinak is just, is just an absolute burden playing centre-back. Um, they've got so many goalkeepers and none of them seem to be particularly good. And, and you know, of course, the, the, the positives are, and this is why he will get a few more weeks, we understand, that with Tammy Abraham coming in, with Balassi coming back or, or coming back from from injury and joining Villa on loan, and El Ghazi who got a goal on the weekend, that you know that the players that he's signed, he should have a go with. And I suppose that's that's hard to argue. with. At the same time, do I am I confident that he will use those players to make Villa much better? I can't say I am.
1: I, I, I'd agree with that as well. And I, and I think that if he spoke to Steve Bruce, I mean, I, I don't know this for sure, he'd be if he were to get sacked now. I think he would lay a lot of the blame at, at Doctor Tony Jeers' door. Where. I think he's had an owner who he probably feels fairly let, let down by in terms of um, the, the, manage, the, the manner that they, he ran the club in the last season was such an all or bust season that when it was bust, uh, they were in serious trouble. And, and only with this investment now can expectations be raised. Um, so, I mean, I know that there are Villa fans listening to this who are just going to be saying enough is enough and I totally get that. Um, but it, it's a huge, huge call and not necessarily one to make on the back of a defeat against a decent Sheffield United team um, they definitely should have beaten Reading. Uh, that's just one of those games where everything points to, to a win and just a late penalty is undone all the hard work. But I think that, again, to judge that on, on results alone rather than the performance is a bit harsh. And, and as I said, I thought that they were very good indeed against against Brentford. So enough green shoots for me to, to continue to think they'll, they'll be OK. Um, but I think that we're going to learn a lot about this after the international break with uh, an away trip to, to Blackburn. And then if they, don't be, if they don't put Rotherham away at home, then I think that will be the, the final nail in the coffin.
0: Yeah, I get the feeling that we're going to be talking a bit more about this in a few weeks. So let's move on to a, a, another 4-1 result. And just to remind the Sheffield United fans, we're not ignoring you. Uh, we will go deep uh, in just, a, in just 25 minutes, half an hour or so. So keep listening. Uh, Bristol City 4, Blackburn 1 on, on Sunday Blackburn went into this game having impressed us hugely, uh, but they've already been hit by some unfortunate injury problems. Bradley Dack, obviously the key man for them, uh, hasn't played the last few games and and they managed to keep hold of him at the end of the transfer deadline. But Bristol City just look like they're at their best. And we've spoken about it before. This is a team who, at their best, are fantastic to watch. High energy, uh, young players playing good combination football. And uh, in Jiju, they got a player that came back From a six-game suspension, his first appearance of the season came on and scored a goal. So with him, Eliasson uh, looking really good, Vyman, Brownhill, all these players. Even Matty Taylor got a lovely chested assist. Um, Things looking really quite good for Lee Johnson and Bristol City at the moment.
1: Really, really good. Um, They'll be delighted with their start. uh, 11 points through six, six on the table. Um, And any ideas that that last season was a bit of a fluke have been put, uh, put paid to. Um, we mentioned on the podcast before there were some murmurings after a, a, a not fantastic start to the season that maybe um, the boo boys about Johnson would come out again but I think that they're firmly back in their box now um, Juju is obviously a huge plus for them to come in uh, scoring six minutes after coming on and again as you say against the Blackburn team that we really like statistically they look very strong indeed both going forward and at the back I think Tony Mowbray's organised them into a really really well drilled team um, even man for man they've got a fantastic lineup as well uh, so, it's, yeah, it's just exciting for Bristol City to, uh, to get there. They fully deserve another lead of their win.
0: I, w- I would consider it, and I'm not a Bristol City fan, so maybe there's things about, about the club and about the way it's been run and Lee Johnson that, that I'm just glossing over here. But I couldn't imagine, really, uh, as a Bristol City fan, thinking that there'd be anyone better to be in charge of this team than, than, than Lee Johnson.
1: I think often with these clubs, because I mean, there, there was a period of time... Where Lee Johnson was was definitely not wanted by a majority of the fans, I would say at the club. Definitely, and when that happens, a lot of people surprisingly are quite stubborn, Um, and you you see it time and time again. You saw it with um, even with Michael Appleton at Oxford. Sometimes, despite the fact he basically revolutionised the club, sometimes if there was a little bit of discontent, a little bit of patch of bad form, those people who initially wanted him at the club would, would raise their head again. So. It's just people not really like, like liking to admit that they're wrong, mm. uh, which none of us do. But uh, I mean, I, I think he's a Premier League manager in waiting. And I think But currently he's at the perfect club um, to enable him to grow. I think that they've obviously invested a lot of time and, and a lot of faith in him. And I'm sure he's looking to repay them by taking them up.
0: Really good last few weeks for Bristol City and, and hopefully for them it'll continue because just uh, glorious to watch. They've got so many good attacking players and still so many to come back from injury. Issa, Adelican, uh, various others at the back as well. So uh, plenty of excitement, I think, probably at Ashton Gate at the moment. Uh, West Brom played against Stoke. Now, obviously, this is a meeting...
1: Well, we didn't mention my uh, our advert for the betting podcast. Oh, go on. Yes, that's true, actually. This well, yeah. is
0: why um, you should be listening on a Thursday.
1: Yeah we, yeah, we do the betting podcast sponsored by Black Type and Black Type had, had a market up for um, most goals scored in the Championship. This A season. unique market. No one A else has market, that market. Indeed. Um, and uh, yeah, and what we spoke about the market and I drew attention to Bristol City, you know, who were 33 to 1 and they've gone and obliged with four goals. Um, and where so does that put
0: them? That must put them sort of third or fourth or something similar. I think that they.
1: They're up to 11 now for the season, which I think, yeah, is about fourth. So, um, so yeah, tune in on Thursdays for those nuggets like that because uh, we're here every week trying to find you the value.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Very, very good stuff. I think that's fair to say. Uh, West Brom and Stoke was a big meeting between two sides dropped down from the Premier League uh, who have started... Well, West Brom really with mixed success, I think, but with plenty of excitement and Stoke with really very little excitement slash no excitement whatsoever. And it sort of went to form in that sense. Sam Robinson was at the game, tweeted us saying Stoke were poor, uh, a faux base penalty, which went over the bar, uh, summed up their day and they lacked a threat, whereas West Brom caused their own problems by overplaying at the back. Uh, but of course, as we keep banging on about, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that You know, you talk about Bristol City and their goal-scoring exploits. I I, I do think that we're going to be just really enjoying West Brom all season long because they have these frailties at the back, because they play a system that doesn't always leave their defence with a huge amount of uh, support but they have these sensational attacking players and none more so uh, on Saturday than Dwight Gale who scored not one sensational goal although there was one clear standout goal but two for me uh, you know the first goal was exquisite that sort of spin turn first touch which took the defender out the game and the, the dummy to go around Butland glorious the second goal for me this is more sort of meat and drink stuff but um, you know, in any second tier, if you've got a guy that can um, spring an offside track, uh, trap rather, that can bring down a ball over the top uh, and not break stride and then to smash it in uh, the near, pro- near the post, then, then you've definitely got something special. This is a guy that's called 23 goals for Newcastle. Last time he was at this level. Um, if you have Dwight Gale, you should be certainly in the top six discuss.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. He, he... He's always someone, it's a bit of a weird time to say this because he's just created his own chance and put it away for that first goal, but I still think he's not necessarily someone who's going to single-handedly get you goals. He needs, he needs the quality in behind and I think West Brom undoubtedly have that. Jay Rodriguez himself isn't necessarily an out-and-out goal scorer. He's a very good footballer who'll help that and Harvey Barnes, yet again, is absolutely unplayable and looks like he's easily one of the you're seeing West Brom fans uh, on social media saying let's do whatever we can to get him to stay not happening not uh, a chance no chance I'm afraid guys he is destined for uh, well not for better things but for, for bigger, bigger things probably quicker than, than West Brom can give him um, Stoke on the other hand is really grim um, just looking at, at the shot data again not to bang on about it but they had 16 shots which is a decent return and the majority of those were in the area so you think great stuff their XG was unbelievably low um, I think it was about 0.8 for, the, for, for all the chances excluding the penalty basically they're creating poor chances they're mainly headers they're mainly they're not really proper opportunities um, and that has to change you, you, when you're playing with Saider uh, Barrahino who still hasn't scored a league goal for however long um, and Crouchy as well started the game it's just a bit difficult. I mean, Afobe is someone who should be scoring goals and that's not going to be his confidence any good hitting the bar with his penalty. It
0: strikes me that, that Rowett, and I'm not sure if I'm ready to say that this is a bad or a good thing, uh, he has mixed it up a fair bit already in search of, of a system that works. I think we've certainly seen them start with sort of 4 5 one, four, three, three type thing uh, and now sort of four-four-two 4 2 with, with Crouchy and, and someone off him. None of it's really working at the moment. I suppose on the one hand, last year, we had a go at him at Derby for for not changing his shape until about five games to go in the season. So I suppose I can't really slag him off for that. But at the same time, it, it you know you look at various other managers who who start the season having had a preseason to get their ideas across, and it just you know maybe maybe things were a bit more muddled at Stoke with so many ins and outs. But you know it doesn't reflect that well on him, I don't think. And and this international break comes at a very good time.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. And and also we, we've said that we think Atabo should be playing. He he played on the weekend. Um, They dominated possession. Him and Allen had a lot of the ball, which is kind of how we thought they were going to play. Um, I must say, we probably did think it would be Benikafoba and and Bojan play more often than it would be Peter Crouch and and Berahino, but that hasn't been the case so far. Ryan Woods came off the bench as well, which is a good sign for them because he'll definitely improve their midfield. Um, but having said that, it's, it's fairly. You, know, you could argue they probably should have been down to ten men, uh, West Brom, due to Livermore's deliberate handball to stop the ball from going in the back of the net. Um, but I wasn't it, sure about that. I, it I, it I, I really, really thought that
0: was just slightly clutching at straws for Rowett. I, I'm. I well, for, I just don't think the ball was going in. Um, you probably you probably might have a uh, you know a, a point to say that uh, it was a slightly unusual arm movement. I don't disagree with that, but I don't. It wasn't like he. Punched it as the ball was heading in. It was, no. to me anyway, quite clearly... Wasn't quite a you know, to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, regardless, those sorts of, of moans uh, probably don't come across that well uh, if you're Stoke fans who, who want answers about continued poor performance. Uh, but yes, uh, good time for an international break, you would think, and uh, we'll see how Stoke get on Although when they come back.
1: The bad thing for them is that most of their players are probably going on from playing. They're mm. not even going to get the time to, to turn around. I, mean, I would love to be surprised... Know from
0: I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, Woods starting over Allen pr- pretty swiftly. If he gets a couple of weeks to get fit um, while the international break's happening, I think that might happen. And, and Joe Allen's form and career, to an extent, if, if that is to, get, is to happen, um, has really sort of fallen off a cliff over the last nine, 12 months or so. Uh, Brentford are very good consistent chance creation is what i noted down uh, when i was thinking about bees earlier and it's it's no surprise to to listeners of the podcast or followers of brentford or admirers of their play uh, but they do just consistently create chances there's not really more to say uh, from the weekend ben rama looks like the star they yeah. sort of eased him in with a few uh, bench cameos and he started the game and looked brilliant Um, Bentley a bit of a worry but I mean the defence is looking a lot better than last year Um, and and, you know you're not thrilled when your goalie's got biscuit wrists and sort of palms one in from 30 yards but it is it's been an undeniably positive start to the season for this
1: and I think Bentley's kind of um deserves a bit of slack really I mean he's it, very it, it good at throwing it very good at throwing it but he's you know he's been a decent keeper and and that was a I mean it was an absolutely atrocious error for the goal um and it would have been typical Brentford really to put in the performance they did against one of the league's favourites pre-season mm. and not come away, come away with three points there was something very un-Brentford about the way that they went back up the other end and, and got the winner um as you mentioned Ben Rama looks yeah he looks brilliant they couldn't lay a glove on him couldn't I they? mean he just looks absolute class one of these players that Brentford seemed to be able to You know, the last one didn't work out too well, um, but seemed to be able to snaffle when other bigger clubs would presumably want him as well. Um, And he looks seriously, seriously good. Um, It's just a bit of a shame that they can't put their dominant displays into more dominant wins, if that makes sense. Obviously, first game of the season, they did that against Rotherham. But here, I mean, this could easily have been a game where they won three or four nil. um, And... Yeah, I, I still really think that there's a chance that this time next year we won't be talking about Brentford on this podcast anymore.
0: What have you made? That is a, that's an excellent call. And I've moved on too quickly here, but I suppose it's not a, a huge surprise because we tipped them to finish third. And, we, you know, we're almost looking at that thinking, was that too low? Regardless, what about Forest uh, on the flip side? They're, they're just not really clicking so far. What have, you, what have you made of them over the last few weeks? And just, you know, as a first six games, put it that way, uh, a much talked about squad over the summer but I know that it you know it's clearly hasn't quite clicked yet it just seems to me pretty clear
1: that they need to change the manager and, and I know that he's not hasn't done anything necessarily to to warrant being sacked but at the same time if he's not the right fit for the club then what's the point you know they've gone to Griffin Park they've had six shots Um Karanka is a manager who, who made Middlesbrough very very hard to beat um, relying on a couple of attacking players to, to provide some spark up front really but you know, Forest's whole recruitment strategy this summer was bringing in players who do look genuinely really really exciting going forward. Um, so I just I just think that whilst Crank is there, it, it's a stay of execution where he's not going to be there for for long. I can't see him being the manager to take this project forward. As we've said time and time again here, um, they need someone to come in who's going to get the best out of the squad.
0: When we were chatting to a Nottingham Forest fan over the weekend. I was like, "Oh, which one of the three Portuguese attacking midfielder slash wingers has been the most impressive um Carvalho Diaz and Gonçalves. He was like, ah, don't really know at this yeah. stage like i mean we there's been flashes, uh, but none of them performing consistently and, and of course that's always the risk with any player, uh, but a heightened risk uh, when when you bring uh three flare players uh, from from the continent to England—that's always going to be the first thing that people say. Could be an issue, and they certainly haven't really hit the ground running. But I think you know—is that necessarily, or perhaps rather, the system that's not necessarily getting the best out of them? It, it, it's hard to say. But they've got such a big squad, and you know, every time I see their starting eleven, there's another player in there. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot they had him.
1: I mean, just to, the, the whole point of having these attacking players should be to get the ball quickly into your into your um, in, into them, basically. Firstly, the fact that they played uh, Murphy over Graben just shows exactly the kind of the type of football he was, he was willing to play. Uh, Diaz, who is arguably the most impressive so far, had just 26 touches of the ball in the whole game against Brentford. Um, Joe Lolly, as well, he's had a decent start to the season, another, another flair player, just 23. I mean, that, that is just, if you compare that to Ben Rom who had 58, it's double the amount of touches to, to the flair players, to the creative players that you want to be on the ball. I just feel like, and especially with Coleback and Watson just sitting as a midfield too, it's just going to be so slow. It's just so defensive orientated that I, yeah, I just can't see this working at the moment.
0: Well, Karanka came in last season, got five wins in his first 20 league games. Uh, he definitely got the backing of the board uh, at the moment. One win in their six games so far. Just the one defeat as well, four draws. Hopefully, uh, for Forest fans, uh, an upturn of fortunes coming soon, but it doesn't sound like yourself and I can't say I am either particularly confident that there's going to be a um, a instant improvement a couple of other games to touch on uh, in the championship Swansea Millwall was an incredible game um, and Swansea going down to 10 men early Leroy Fair rushed back from injury injured again in the first half so not only did Swansea have 10 men they also had Kyle Norton playing central midfield I think by the end of the game they had McBurney like centre back yeah, or yeah. centre mid uh, so many formation changes that's the sort of thing that you know can can look really bad can look like they're, they're so ragged but I want to turn that into a positive because if you're Graham Potter, if you can make those changes in-game and for your players to retain a sense of, of what they're meant to be doing, how they're going to overcome the, you know, the early red card, uh, and to turn things around and actually play to their strengths, play on the counter-attack, what a smart play that was for the winning goal. Um, taking the quick free kick, recognising that the right-back for Millwall was out of position, and playing Montero in. And from there, him, Selina and McBurney, these are, are fantastic players at this level. It was a, it was a brilliant game. Millwall not looking as confident Uh, but yeah it was just cool to see that because Swansea have had some of those results now the opening day win at at Bramall Lane and now this one where you see that that theme of character uh, running through the team and we heard all about Potter's methods out in Sweden and how that was his big thing building character amongst a squad that didn't necessarily have the the resources to challenge and it's just cool having read all about that to, to be sort of seeing it play out um at this early stage of the season in the championship
1: i also think that uh, carl norton's goal is the underrated goal of the weekend nice um it's just really decent technique the way he kind of had mm. to knock it outside the box running backwards he managed to kind of swivel and just strike it really well in the bottom corner
0: great goal and we we switched the game on uh in the pub in newcastle we were at and Uh, in in injury time both teams hit the bar it was just a a brilliant advert for for the championship not that it needs any more because we bang on about it all the time there was a game at the Majewski Stadium between Reading and Sheffield Wednesday on the weekend it went the way of Sheffield 2-1 Lucas Drou finishing off an excellent week with a very very well taken goal and a win for Sheffield Wednesday that was quite impressive but Reading on two points from six uh... Some concerns there. I think it's fair to say, you know, we haven't spoken about them for a few weeks. Uh, We've we've spoken about them plenty over the last few months. But at this stage, I'm assuming that uh, you're you're not expecting much of an upturn in fortunes for Reading.
1: No, probably not. Um, I I don't think necessarily they've been as bad as, as, as the league table suggests. Certainly that opening game of the season would have been an absolute kick in the teeth for them. Um, again here against again Sheffield Wednesday it was a, such a good finish from um, from Zhao who's
0: really started the season unbelievably well he's got two Portugal caps which uh, is easy to forget
1: maybe, maybe could get a third soon you never know. Yeah, nice. um lining up with Ronaldo but uh, you have to feel like now it's more uh, momentum and a rut for, for Reading here um, you, you struggle to see Paul Clement leading them out of this mess and uh, you know it's one of the, the, the Twitter accounts I looked at on Sunday morning to see if there, there's any news coming out of the club because it wouldn't be a surprise to see them sacking him fairly soon. Uh, it's just a case of where they turn next. Um, that'll be their second managerial casualty in a year. Uh, but two points from, from six games, it's, it doesn't make for good reading. And, uh, and games like Sheffield Wednesday at home have got to be their bread and butter, really.
0: Alex was at the game, said too many individual mistakes for Reading. They never really troubled Sheffield Wednesday. Callum as well. Reading with a near full-strength team, So basically, no excuses, re-injuries here. Large amounts of the ball, but created F all. Uh, Reading going down until something changes very fast. One just weird statistical quirk that I wanted to flag up uh, is that Reading conceded in the 46th minute within a minute of halftime. Now, in any game, that would be a bit of a kick in the teeth. As fans, you've got to wonder what is happening in that dressing room at halftime. They've conceded five goals, between the forty fifth and the sixtieth minutes of games now, so six games five times they 've conceded in that spell just after half time and that is just a really worrying trend for me It, 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 it makes me wonder uh, whether Clement is getting through to these players at all they don 't appear to be responding to him in terms of performance immediately after he 's had you know ten fifteen minutes of, of running through uh, the first half of the game, and that is massively worrying, last but not least, in the championship we, we sort of uh, said that this was going to be the game of the weekend, maybe the game of the season so far. Leeds and Borough drew nil-nil. It leaves them both on 14 points from six games. Now, one of our friends said that this was like, uh, was an engrossing battle, like one of the games between Premier League top four teams of circa 2008. Um, A lot of people would have watched this game and seen um, essentially a... a, um, A clash of styles that lend itself to not a huge amount other than a lot of fouls and a couple of chances from set pieces Um, but fair play I guess to Tony Pulis because that's one of their hardest games of the season and he quite clearly suppressed Leeds' style of play they weren't able to impose themselves on his team at all.
1: No a game of few chances and and, and Leeds especially really struggled to create anything uh, whatsoever of note so Pudist, Pudist it. We, we've spoken before about the fact that he's maybe made this team a little bit more um, just a, a more front foot team than we've seen Pulis teams before but I think he's proven here that when he needs to revert to tight when he needs to go back to the basics and shut a team out he knows how to do it and, and you know, they look the more dangerous team on the break uh, so a little bit of a you know a return just a, a bit of a grounding for Leeds I guess just to remember that this isn't going to be that easy the league isn't won yet um they are going to face teams who are going to be able to stop them from scoring um and yeah i mean two games obviously one of them being in the in the cup and therefore nowhere near as important but two games in a week where they fail to score and they go to Millwall now who will be smarting from the defeat on the weekend in a couple of weeks time um and a lot of teams are going to Millwall and come away uh, with nothing so it's going to be really interesting to see how they react uh, to that disappointment i mean I say disappointment It's a nil-nil draw Against one of the teams Who's going to be up there At the end of the Mm. season But at the same time I think a lot of Leeds fans Would have been a bit concerned With that performance
0: I think And I'm going to bring out Some stats To hit you with here And I want you to tell me Whether this is um, Way too early Or whether I'm an absolute genius Um, I think that I am quite confident at this stage after only six out of 46 games uh, that Borough are and will be the best defensive team in the league Um, will concede the fewest goals now I was looking at the last few years and that goes a long way Uh, last year the top two defences went up in first and second the year before the same first and second the year before that Borough were the best defence came second, automatically promoted Burnley who won the league uh, with a joint second-best defence. And the year before that, in 14-15, Borough were the best defence, but only finished fourth. Um, but Bournemouth were the second-best, and they finished top. So I'm going to say to you, after six games, that if Middlesbrough have the best defence in the league, which I think they do, then I am more confident than ever before that they'll be promoted. What say you to that?
1: I think that's fair enough. I, I think there's no reason to to dispute that. I think that we never... <laughs> we maybe seeing this isn't the strongest championship already this season. I think that Middlesbrough maybe would have struggled to end guys, get promoted in the last couple of years, but that there aren't that many strong teams really. If you're looking at teams like Derby, who have made a stuttering start to the season and haven't really performed that well as being still one of the kind of top five or six teams vying for that, I think that it seems pretty clear that if Borough can just shut teams out, then there's no reason why they can't be one of the top two.
0: So possibly not a massively strong top end of the championship, at least at this stage, from what we've seen. I think that League One this year, where we'll move to, very smooth segue there, uh, is stronger at the top end than it was last year. That's not to say that Wigan and Blackburn weren't brilliant League One teams uh, and and that Shrewsbury uh, didn't have an excellent season, which of course they did. But I think that we can be a little more excited about the title race in League One. Um, So we're talking here really about uh, Barnsley, uh, Peterborough, Portsmouth, Sunderland, um, and previously Walsall, who who, who seem to have got a little bit tired. But let's talk about Sunderland. Uh, we spoke in in depth about Peterborough last week, uh, and they went and stuttered to a home draw against Doncaster. Uh, an example of similar sort of performance, um, but not taking the chances that they were taking before and the opposition getting a goal crucially so uh, an interesting one there as as Posh feel the other side of the coin um, the other side of the pillow let's talk about Sunderland Uh, we were at the Stadium of Light uh, on the weekend and a massive thanks to the Roker Report guys for inviting us on stage at the fan zone beforehand uh, where you said to much mirth amongst the Sunderland supporting crowd that Ricky Holmes who's going to be the best player on the pitch that day and the best player in the division. We got a tweet after the game from a Sunderland fan who said, without doubt, Holmes, very lively for Oxford, will play at a higher level. So there you go. I feel like I'm telling you you're right a lot, which well, is I annoying thought, me a bit on this I podcast. I think been wrong.
1: I think that maybe Marcus Brown was the best player on the pitch. But really? That'll, but that'll change. I know Sunderland fans won't like to, to hear that because they... Felt that he maybe should have stood up more when they were kicking him around. Talk Um, us
0: through the game, because it was was a very lively one.
1: It was an interesting game. Um, I thought first 20 minutes, we were absolutely superb. Um, When it was 11 v 11, Sundon couldn't really uh, impose himself on the game at all. Uh, We were on the front foot, which surprised me. Um, you know, I was not optimistic but I thought we would, we would give a better account of ourselves than some people maybe thought and I, and I was also not entirely sure that Sunderland were all that they were being cracked up to be slightly worrying trend about
0: uh, them going behind in games yeah exactly
1: um, Connor who you mentioned um, said to us before the, the game you know, do you want to revise your your prediction of a third place finish and we kind of said well, no, no not at the moment because um, I, I think both of us think that, that Portsmouth and Barnsley look the two class teams in the league currently um, so yeah first 25 minutes Oxford on top Holmes uh, got a deserved uh, goal from a free kick um, the red card came I mean I personally think that if you um, cynically size someone down deliberately with absolutely no intent of, of touching the ball when they're running at full pelt to stop an attack um, then I think you deserve to be sent off A for dangerous play and B for sheer stupidity and C for just being pretty violent and it's not really the behaviour you want on the pitch
0: yeah a lot of Sunderland fans saying you know we've been watching football our whole lives and that's never been a red card that sort of foul in the middle of the pitch I kind of see where they're coming from but at the time and watching it back uh, I said to you he He uses just way too much force for that. I agree. What they're talking about—that sort of cynical counter-attack stopping foul in the middle of the in the middle of the park—always uh, a yellow, no questions asked, whether it's a little pull or a small trip or something. This was not that. This was this. This had uh, you know twice the amount of force than than you would expect yeah. if you if you just read the description of the incident to actually seeing it.
1: And I think football's a better game if that foul's a red card as well because you know it should be completely deterred. Um, so they got they went down to ten men. Um, they are going to be could have been down to 8 Oxford could easily have been down to about 9 it was it was a pretty ill-tempered affair I think that Cameron Brannigan had a tackle that home fans were pretty upset about I've watched it back today as a view. I think a yellow is probably a fair result I don't think it was particularly high or he was out of control or there was any malice in it but you seem to think it maybe was a little bit high
0: yeah a bit over the top I think for me a bit stampy a bit over the top I wouldn't have been surprised to see a red come out and I think that.
1: that's fair I think that's another one where if it had been a red you couldn't really argue too harsh too, too um kind of voracely against it um, but I think that Shandon Baptiste should have been sent off for two yellow cards Probably could have got three yellow cards to be honest Brian Oviedo um, <laughs> and, uh, and Chris McGuire also could have, could have seen red
0: Let's move away from, from refereeing decisions Not sure how well that translates to the audio medium But if only we could run in the incidents as we discuss them um, You mentioned Shandon Baptiste um, I'd like us henceforth to call him Shandy Baptiste um, Which is my porn name And also the yeah. name of, uh, of uh, Oxford United's new star midfield player He's come out of absolutely nowhere um, and he had a fantastic game midweek against Newport where he scored a brilliant goal, the type of goal that wasn't just a, a, a good strike from 20 yards but was preceded by a brilliant first touch on his chest and a little shimmy to beat a defender as if he wasn't there. And we kind of saw it again in action against you know, this Sunderland team with all their star players, um, he, the way he glided past Lee Catamol Um, Now saying that out loud Doesn't sound as impressive As it looked Um, But he's a really interesting Profiler player isn't he Because you know Central midfielder Quite small But tenacious And very good on the ball At least carrying the ball
1: Yeah I mean what's weird about this Is that you know Anyone listening to this I presume Will know what it's like When you're in the EFL club And you get a really Exciting youngster Coming through the ranks And normally They are built up a lot Before you ever really see them And they come with This big reputation And you're really excited To see them And you know You've been waiting for years To see this guy Who's been scoring All these goals At youth level that just isn't the case with Baptiste. Uh, he had um, a couple of really bad shoulder injuries that kept him out for a couple of years. Um, he went on loan to Hampton and Richmond last season. I've been trying to find some reports from their fans as to how he did, but I basically haven't found anything to suggest that he was either good or bad. Um, I think he basically got a year's contract this time last year. Um, he got a contract's attention just because he'd never really had the chance to show people what he could do. Um, he came into the squad this season... On the back of a good pre-season but also because of injury troubles and I think he's basically quickly becoming one of our best players he looks absolutely unbelievable Um, he's got so tenacious off the ball uh, closing people down very quickly his recycling of play is absolutely unbelievable where he manages similar to N'Golo Kante he makes these tackles that kind of seem to defy bendy legs and physics and then circles the ball straight away giving it on he carries the ball well through midfield a lot of Sunderland fans were saying on social media afterwards that they'd like to have a look at him Charlie Methven who's on their board uh, ran the Oxford United Academy from a management level for a long time so he'll certainly know all about him as well which is a bit concerning um, for all of our youth products but uh but yeah, it's, he at the moment looks like a huge, huge find. He's only got a year left on his contract, um, but we have an option to extend it. I'm pretty sure that instead of that option being activated, it'll be a case of a new deal under his nose very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, really, really impressive performance. A massive standout for Oxford in what was a very entertaining game. Charlie White came on for his first appearance for Sunderland at half time and he, he changed the game to an extent. Uh, he was very impressive in terms of challenging for the ball, winning the ball when it was played forward to him. And, and, you know, Curtis Nelson and John Moussinho, who were, you know, not 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 bad defenders at this level put it that way struggling to get anywhere near him really so really impressive and he's, he's claimed the goal as well I'm not sure how much of a touch he got but um, Lyndon Gooch who got the assist very impressive for Sunderland as well uh, we touched on Posh there drawing at home with Donnie uh, a poor performance um, from, from what I've read from the fans fortunate to get the draw Steve Evans got a red card which everyone found quite funny and, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see... You know, we're not going to overreact to one result there. It'll be interesting to see over the next few weeks and games um, how their performances um, change, if they do. And, and if they don't change, um, how much more often we'll see results like this for Posh. Pompey, on the other hand, 3-0 home win. Very, very comfortable. Ronan Curtis and Jamal Lowe, just absolute star men. Um, they haven't been behind yet this season in the league, which is a remarkable stat. Donald, Pompey fan... Ronan Curtis looks a revelation, 100k uh, signing, uh, five goals, three assists for the season. And Matt Clark surely the best defender in the division. So Pompey, I mean, we're slightly running out of things to say about them at this stage. I I
1: think that that's it. And any Sunderland fan um, who thinks this is going to be easy, I mean, Barnsley and Portsmouth are two really strong teams. And it's going to be, I mean, I'll be very, very impressed um, if Sunderland can muscle in on those two.
0: Really impressive. Barnsley, comfortable 2-1 winners against Gillingham. I think the scoreline slightly flattered Gillingham there. Uh, Barnsley took their foot off the gas a little bit, but Kiefer Moore with a well-taken brace. Real problems at Bradford from what we're reading from the fans at the moment. They lost at Fleetwood, so we'll just touch on both teams here. Um, We'll start with the positive, George. Fleetwood uh, are in sixth now. They didn't start the season particularly well, uh, but they've had some really good results in the last few weeks. How... Do you consider Joey Barton's managerial career to have started?
1: I think you've got to give it like an eight or nine out of ten. Um, home form stuttering somewhat, but uh, but away from home, you know they beat Oxford very well, fairly comfortably in the end. Um, they absolutely pummelled Scunthorpe. You have to wonder if maybe the fixtures are falling kindly. Obviously Bradford and Scunthorpe, two teams who so they played at absolute perfect times, uh, but you know to get the win after Wes Burns got sent off as well with ten men shows huge character, especially at home. Um, I think they're going to give Sunderland a very, very awkward game again on the weekend. Uh, I wasn't convinced that that Barton was going to necessarily be particularly successful here, but I think he's shown straight away that he's not only capable of of managing a team, but tactically very very shrewd and knows how to get the most out of them so I think it's been yeah just a fun, really really good start.
0: Yeah they seem to have a nice balance between sort of experienced old heads like Craig Morgan, uh, Dean Marnie I suppose and then the, the, you know, Evans and Madden up front who, who are going to know this level better than most strikers and then players like Louis Coyle, Ashley Hunter, Wes Burns, Jason Holt a bit younger slightly different profile of player you know McElhaney is, is an unused sub there and While it's true he hasn't had the most impressive year or so at Fleetwood, uh, you know, he's certainly a player that you were very jealous that Fleetwood signed over Oxford last year. So they've got that in reserve as well. Bradford, on the other hand, real worries. Um, They are just looking very, very poor and there's just growing distaste for the board and for the owners um, from the fan base. And there's one stat that I think summed it up really Uh, they won at Fleetwood on New Year's Day Bradford 2-1 that's nine months ago to the day there was not a single player in the 18 man squad that day that was in their 18 man squad on the weekend which is absurd that is clearly um, a a turbulent squad churn now it doesn't scream stability it clearly doesn't give a rookie manager in Michael Collins um, the stability that he would hope for and so far he's not been able to get much out of his team now the Bradford fans are very worried about this I would say to worry them even more a wider point about League One when you look at the two teams at the bottom Plymouth and Shrewsbury who we spoke about last week still winless now Um, while I am worried about those teams it strikes me that if they're to be the worst teams at this stage it's a slightly stronger division down at the bottom um, because I don't see these teams being terrible terrible League One teams that are going to get 25-30 points so what I'm saying is it's going to be easier to get dragged into a relegation battle because generally teams are going to be better so Bradford I have to be very careful that it doesn't all go completely um, completely tits up
1: <laughs> you gonna have an explicit for that I think we're okay aren't we um, I lost my train of thought after hearing you say the word tit on the podcast um, yeah I think there are loads of teams who are currently mid-table as well who will slip down um, I've been really concerned by South Southend's form recently I think Burton looked, looked fairly weak despite their win um, AS Wimbledon, uh, despite what looked like a good start to the season, find themselves on five points after six games. Uh, Scunthorpe as well need to rally with a new manager. I think that you mentioned Shrewsbury and Plymouth. I think Shrewsbury uh, are one team who seem to not be picking up the points they deserve. And, and, and Plymouth, you've got to be really concerned about. Um, I'm confident that Oxford and Bristol Rovers will, will, will start moving up the table um, pretty soon. So I think a lot's going to change down there. I think at the top end of the table, it looks like the top team's are the best teams I'm not entirely sure that the worst teams in League 1 are currently occupying the, the, the bottom area
0: I'm a bit worried about Bristol Rovers we'll get into them probably next week where we'll have a, a full League 1 and League 2 podcast um, taking all your questions reviewing the weekend's action and just properly going for it leagues 1 and leagues 2 wise so get get excited for that last line on League 1 um, and it covers all three divisions but this is a, a good quirk George, you'll like this I saw this tweeted by the Blue and Amber fanzine Shrewsbury fans on Twitter uh, as we all know Shrewsbury lost their manager Paul Hurst to Ipswich um, Shrewsbury in turn poached Macclesfield's manager uh, John Askey who won promotion with Macclesfield from the National League and to all intents and purposes um, was the man credited with dragging them to the title basically given what he had at hand. So then, Macclesfield, of course, had to uh, appoint their own manager. All three teams are in 23rd out of 24, uh, with three points from six games. Ipswich three points, Shrewsbury three points, Macclesfield three points. So no, no one's done well out of that. They, they could have just reverted back to where they were. I think probably been better off. Who
1: do you think out of those three will end up in the hub? The hu- the, yeah, with the
0: most points at the end of the season. I think that. Shrewsbury might end up with the most points
1: I agree that's a shame I thought you were going to say Ipswich yeah but then you need fewer points I think to stay up from the championship because of the disparity in quality
0: fair play League 2 now and Exeter and Lincoln was the sort of eye-catching fixture of the game as we found out whether Exeter were True title contenders, I suppose, and where we were going to find out exactly how good Lincoln are. Um, it's the latter. Lincoln, very, very good. Alexander, who's at the game, a, a, an Exeter fan, said the Imps look sharp. Uh, Akinde, the missing piece of the puzzle from last season, physical as ever. Champ, uh, Lincoln are champions-elect in my book. So we're not going to talk any more about Lincoln here. So I'm going to raise a question to you, which I think is much more pertinent, looking at the rest of the league at this stage. Six games in, of course, three automatic promotion spots up for grab. One of them we're already giving to Lincoln at this stage. <laughs> Tell me who else is good in League 2, because I'm looking at the table and, you know, we've, we've both dug a bit deeper, so we'll come up with some. But it, it's not obvious, is it?
1: I think there's one obvious one. I think uh, MK Dons will finish in the top four or five. Um, I think that's that's pretty much a given. Unless, I feel like you've
0: really hedged it there by not saying top three.
1: Unless, yeah, I know. Unless it really fall off. I think Colchester, another one who I think you're going to speak about in a second, who looked very impressive um, indeed. I think the two teams who could click into some kind of gear, are Forest Green and Mansfield, I mean, Forest Green losing Doidge is definitely um, not good news for them. Uh, you would think they'll be able to reinvest the money they get from that. It's rum- to be about a million quid in the summer. Uh, sorry, in, in January. Um, and they've got a squad who immediately look look capable of doing things at this level. Um, Ruben Reed, obviously a striker who can replace him, who scored goals at this level before, so they're one. And I think Mansfield are another one. I'm not a massive fan of Flitcroft, the manager, at all. But having said that, they, they do seem solid and effective, uh, hard to beat, hard to break down, yet to lose this season. Um, they've won two, they've drawn four, uh, just feels like in a league where it's not going to take much to get up towards the higher echelons. We saw you know, a team like Coventry last season sticking around there just by being pretty hard to break down early on in the season. Um, I think that Mansfield, if they continue their current form,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm sure they'll be there or thereabouts. I don't feel like, going back to Forest Green, uh, like we, or anyone for that matter, talks about Dale Grubb enough. But... I don't know if it's just me he seems to pop up with pretty much a goal every other game from midfield Yeah, uh, always really nicely taken signed from non-league and just looks absolutely brilliant so grub for Forest Green really impressing so far this season anyway and th- there's a few more teams that I wanted to flag up uh, one of them is Colchester as you said we had some high hopes for them and they've had some good results so far this season namely on the weekend uh, where they went to Cheltenham and won now They didn't necessarily batter uh, Cheltenham but I think what we flagged up from previous iterations of this Colchester side was a bit of a soft centre and I think that's what's notable this season they look a little bit tougher and you know they did that with their summer recruitment but um, I know that they you know they they wear the pressure well against Cheltenham I've read the match report from Gab Sutton of the Football Lab who uh, knows his stuff certainly when talking about all the EFL but Specifically, down in League Two, you know, he he wrote that we have an associated Colchester um, that's perhaps too loyal to its youth-based philosophy, that it lacks physicality and, and pragmatism, um, but you know, they showed that that they have a knack of winning games without necessarily playing the way that they would ideally like for 90 minutes. So I think that's that is encouraging and that's a sort of trait that will serve them well throughout the season. And in Smodics uh, and various others they have got the players. I mean Norris scored a brilliant free kick on the weekend. They've got the players to do it, but so do Northampton and this is a bit of a rogue one given that they are firmly in the bottom half of the table, uh, they have I think six points from six games not a very impressive start for Northampton at, at all but Chris the Tranmere fan who tweeted us his scouting report from this game included the line Northampton would have won it if it wasn't for poor finishing and I think that that could almost have be been copy and pasted uh, from what we've heard uh, after basically every Northampton game this season uh, poor finishing and the odd sloppy goal to, to concede so I certainly think that that's the type of thing that can go the other way Um, you know as we we move forward still 40 games to go of course so the fact that they're in the bottom half at the moment doesn't mean that much this league is always so congested I do think that out of all of the teams in League 2 Northampton are the one you know if you ask me to put a bet on a team other than Lincoln who might go on who might let's say go on a 10 game unbeaten run I'm going to put forward Northampton because they have got that quality in the side. So uh, Mansfield and Forest Green for you, Colchester and Northampton for me. That question was, who are the good teams in League Two, apart from Lincoln? MK Dons as well, you mentioned there. And Notts County, obviously, Kewell not. <laughs> not in charge on the weekend. So not his fault, but um, that home loss to Forest Green and just, he's got a big job on his hands. I think it's fair to say. George, as we always do, on the Not the Top 20, Monday pod, We leave it to the end to talk about our team of the week.
1: Yeah, our team of the week this time, um, no surprises here after what we said early on, is uh, is Sheffield United, who uh, under Chris Wilder registered a fantastic 4-1 win against promotion rivals, I'm going to say Aston Villa. We were joined by uh, James of Blades, at Blades Analytic on Twitter. This is what he had
0: to say. We're very grateful to James from the excellent Twitter account, blog, all sorts. James is everywhere these days when you're looking for Blade's opinion and analysis. He is Blade's analytic james uh, not only has your work been excellent this season but you've been covering a team that looks really really impressive can you just talk us through the result on the weekend against villa because you made sure to tweet us and say look you know you're probably going to talk about villa in a negative way but it wasn't a case of them being that bad Uh, we would have done that to 99 percent of the league
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's biased, isn't it? But I thought we were completely unplayable for the first 35 minutes of that game. Um, just everything, really. Down even to the weight of the pass that we were making was just on point. We certainly pressed the ball exceptionally well in the midfield area, which is, I think you would all agree, Villa's key area with McGinn and greenish A lot of their plays dictated through those two guys and it just didn't give them a chance. Um they never had the ball in our final third at all to make any impact on the game, and we just dominated—not possession, but we dominated the kind of the, the intensity of the play, the tempo of the game. We were just all over them like a rush.
1: It's, it's interesting you say that because obviously, you know, given your Twitter account, Blades Analytics, and we are interested in, in the kind of analysis and data side of the game as well. Do you think that this is a case where, where the, the shot data doesn't really tell the whole story because? If you're looking at that, there wasn't much between the two teams, and the Sheffield United's highest chance was the goal.
2: Absolutely, George. You make a a very good point there. It's something that I've discussed with uh, Blades fans on on social media, which is our our shot data, you know, eight shots, only six on target, I think four from inside the box, and our XG was only about 1.4, depending on which source you look at, but my model has it about 1.49. So we were exceptionally clinical. Um, You know, Duffy's goal and Norwood's goal, the the second and third goals, were goals that were of a low percentage chance, but they were high-quality finishes, And we didn't dominate the chances as such, but it, that first 35 minutes, what we did do is we just dominated the game in terms of winning the ball back, we were setting traps all over the pitch, so we were, we were kind of holding a mid-to-low mid block and allowing Villa to bring the ball forwards. And then as soon as there was an opportunity to press the ball, we were stealing aggressively and counter-attacking which is something that Sheffield United don't normally do under Wilder. We normally press quite high and try and play possession football ourselves. So to see the possession stats at the end of the game, although they're not important in my eyes, it was quite interesting. We're not normally a side that concedes that possession. So it was a clear tactic from from Wilder and the staff to let them have the ball in non-dangerous areas and win it back when we could and kind of turn over really quickly.
0: James? It's been uh, well it was a a poor start to the season with two defeats to start the season since then really really impressive of course Blades started the season very well last year and tailed off somewhat how much more confident if at all are you uh, that last season's final league position can be improved on this year how far do you think this team can go? Uh,
2: It's a great question Um, as a Sheffield United fan you are brought up to not be confident in anything Um, but uh, I must say that the additions in the summer um, have, have strengthened the squads. They don't seem marquee on paper, but what they have done is they've strengthened areas where we were weaker last season. So the signing of Oliver Norwood has completely transformed the way we play. And that signing came after the first two games which we lost against Swansea and Middlesbrough. Um, it it allows John Fleck the freedom to play forwards, which is what he likes to do. It's brought into the the balance of the side now is correct. We were playing down our left-hand side wing-back role too much. We're now balancing our, our attacks all over the pitch. And, and the signing of John Egan has just started to pay to fruition. He was excellent against Aston Villa on Saturday. But more than that, that combination of both has become a real big set-piece threat. And that's something we were at last season. Um, so to kind of summarise, really, I, I do feel as though at the minute this side looked like they can go better than last season, whether that means top six I think we need to see a bigger sample size but we have more elements to our game this year and we've still kept the strengths of last year
1: OK cheers for this and thanks for coming on so much just before we let you go after the first few weeks of the season after that massive win on the weekend what, do you, what would be success for you this season now?
2: <laughs> that's a really difficult one as someone like yourself who look at the data and a little bit more analytical a top 10 finish would be extraordinary we, we still have a budget that's kind of 15 down I believe so A top ten budget would be brilliant. I think with the start that we've had now with four wins in a row and kind of scoring goals and looking strong at the back as well, I do think a top six is a possibility. So I'm going to say a top ten is the target, but a top six is definitely realistic.
0: James, we've really enjoyed having you on. Thank you very much for joining us. Where can the listeners find you on social media?
2: Yeah, so with, if any listener wants to follow me, it's uh, at Blade Analytic. That's just analytic, not analytics. Um, I don't just do Sheffield United kind of content. I, I look at the EFL Championship, so I, I post out XG tables and XG data for other games, as well as kind of individual players' um, statistics along the way. Um, so any, anything Championship related, really. I just love the uh, love the EFL, and uh, especially your guys' pot. It's absolutely fantastic.
0: So thank you for having me on. Very grateful for James from Blades Analytic for joining us there. Gotta get involved with him on Twitter because, as he said, he's not just tweeting Sheffield United specific stuff, but Not only are they a team that you're going to want to be following this season, but he is doing a lot of other good stuff across the EFL and specifically the Championship. That's all for this week. Join us next week, heavy on the League 1 and League 2. Make sure you get your questions prepared, because we want to make sure we get to as many of them as possible. Enjoy the weekend and make sure you're tuned in on Thursday for the betting show. But until next time...